Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, John Nothing. And tonight we do a final episode on dark psychology and consumerism. Now, in our last episode, we discussed Edward Bernays' first implementation of dark psychology in the U.S. after being pretty successful with it in the campaigns uh, during World War One. In this episode, we want to take this a step further. All right. America sees that the dark psychology that's being implemented through propaganda and, you know, marketing and advertising that Bernays was coming up with his uh, propaganda schemes, you know, uh, at the time it was called public relations. You know, America is starting to see that this is a viable tool and it is very much working. All right. America sees what happens in the 20s up until 1929 uh, before the market crash. They see that consumerism has taken taken a hold and America is now in the mode of purchase even before what I need is even consumed. You buy a T-shirt, you wear the T-shirt, it has holes in it, it rips, you know, it's no longer a good T-shirt and then you replace it. No, America's now, I have a t-shirt in blue, I need one in red, I need one in white, I need one in black. No no particular reason behind it, I just want it. That's the mindset that Americans have taken a hold of. And this is the first time that politics is truly recognizing that the people have changed. I mean, we have a public figure like Bernays who convinces people to jump into the stock market. Regular Joe Schmoes like you and me. And when you have Joe Schmoes like you and me who are not trained in such disciplines, you have speculation. You know, you have unscientific measures being made and, and, and trades that are being made. This is a speculative market and this spells disaster for the U.S. as we know from the 1929 crash, which spurred on the Great Depression. And so as we know, uh, Freud's work was basically rewritten by his nephew in a way to manipulate the people, which is what we call dark psychology, is the manipulation of the masses. And Freud's nephew, Bernays, you know, his publication of, of his uncle's work, it, it absolutely fascinated the journalists and, you know, the intellectuals and, and the corporations of the time. You know, this is the inception of department stores you know uh, stores that sell tons of products um that you know are kind of related and you know household products and they want people to buy them and once everybody in the u.s has these products you're gonna stop buying them for a time they work well america's building great products not not importing a lot of products and you know you have a washing machine you have a toaster you have you know a refrigerator you no longer need another any of those you don't need to buy a, a, a whatever device to sit on your kitchen countertop you don't need another iron you know we're talking about the utility here of, of the device you know america making sound decisions and saying to themselves i have enough i have what i need i don't need to buy anymore consumerism you know before the 1920s just didn't really exist all right even though consumerism was implemented in like let's say the 1700s and you know during the, the great enlightenment period in, in europe 
it was rich people that were able to engage in it you know 90% of the world was like farmers <laughs> and so they didn't engage in that type of consumerism right and so Freud was able to convince people to you know act on their submerged dangerous you know you know thoughts and, and desires right submerged dangerous forces lurking underneath the surface of modern society you know he was able to drudge those up you know the, I mean these are the same forces that can erupt into a frenzied mob right and this is what the government was afraid of right because they had already seen after World War one you know this this frenzy of mob you know in Russia you know they're angry people and they don't know how to control these people this is what democracy is afraid of now the reason why democracy is afraid of this is because you know you know it, it kind of proves that democracy you know as a principle is kind of wrong you know that people aren't able to make rational decisions objective thinking you know about let's say voting or you know laws to be passed you know they don't trust the people to be able to do those you know critical things because underneath them is a very irrational creature you know a human being is a creature after all we're not above being an animal and it just takes a little spark for us to become the the creature that's hidden in the subconscious all right and so you know with that said you know some of the political thinkers of the time uh, namely walter uh, lippman you know he was saying we need to rethink democracy all right democracy is a model where the people are in power the people are you know tasked with the power we need to rethink that all right democracy was proven wrong and you know after world war one and also again in the 1920s all right and so that's why democracy needed to be meshed with another tool you know and that other tool became consumerism because consumerism keeps your unconscious mind distracted today we see that consumerism is the uh, driving force underneath our entire global economy today all right this is a hundred years in the future it is now the driving force of the entire world not just the u.s in this case not just europe a global economy everything that they envisioned back then has already come true and it is now hitting its walls it cannot get any better and it is continually getting worse now don't get me wrong this is not an argument against democracy this is not an argument against consumerism you know this is an argument against you know not trusting the people to be rational thinkers all right because we weren't even like this before it was greed that put us in the position of you know implementing mass consumerism to the people they had a lot of success you know um you know advertising democracy in europe because europe was you know a bunch of monarchies right and so they after world war one they you know the the peace accord that uh i believe it was coolidge um you know he had bernays help him with that that period right there you know of democracy being implemented in europe and then consumerism being implemented here in the u.s and 
you know, over the 20s, you know, we see that there are strict limitations on both of them. And so we needed to come up with a more hybrid strategy. All right. And this hybrid strategy is mass democracy teamed up with consumerism because you need that consumerism as a limiting factor for the people. You need them to be veiled in order for democracy to continue to be the answer. So democracy in itself is flawed, where in which the people in power would be usurped by the people's emotions if they got too wild. So here you have the government, mass media, corporations, all on the same page. They, they start to say to, say to themselves, hey, look, we need to start looking at the psychological sciences that we have available today to, to kind of understand you know, the mechanisms that... Um, you know, you know, the mechanisms behind how people think, you know, specifically with the goal of figuring out how to understand how to apply those mechanisms, the strategies for social control, control. OK, and that control, <clears throat> once you figure out where that steering wheel is within this vehicle of consumerism, then you have, a, you know, you have the reins, you have the reins of the beast. OK. And so that's where we are, you know, in the 20s is that they are testing their ability to have social controls. Marketing and advertising really takes off around this period. You know, billboards, posters, propaganda signs, you know, political campaigns being, you know, publicized on radio at this point. And, um, you know, um, newspapers around the world and, you know, pamphlets and letters and stuff in offices and, you know, posters on buildings and things. Right. This is that period. You know, when we start to see those things pop up and they're very effective, they're new and effective. You saw that those propaganda posters worked, you know, um, very well during the Nazi campaign, which we'll get to. All right. And so, you know, the world itself typically would say, hey, here are the facts about this product. You should buy it because you need this this product to do these things. Well, this is a period where we're saying, hey, this product makes you look like this type of person. This product makes you fit in with these type of people. This product makes you sexy. This product makes you manly. This product makes you, you know, respectable. You have made it in life if you have this product. That's a completely different mindset and thought you know, thought process of making a decision. They wanted you to switch to that that form of mindset. The 20s was the time that, that they really honed in on how to do this. You know, there were several books pu published over this this time period. Um, you know, Bernays was writing uh, quite a few of them with uh, Lipman's, uh, you know, uh, help and, and, you know, a few other uh, um, psychoanalysts at the time. He was paying very good money to to get these uh, insights on people, like we saw with the smoking campaign with the uh, suffragettes. And so, you know, we have a paradigm shift here. We have a paradigm shift of people deciding to, you know, on a monthly basis, you know, purchase things that they would never normally do. All right. And this is that turning point. This is where the way that we behave with products and, and things that we have in our home 
this is when we first started to behave like this all right and uh this episode is not just about that it's also about the government finally saying to themselves oh we need to get on this ball and start doing the same thing as these corporations the government was not like that at this point in time right the the government the the executive branch of the government was not like this the legislative branch was not like this right it was becoming like this at this time right and we we literally have after the crash of 1929 we have a president come in uh let me see 29 uh herbert hoover and this guy is the the humanitarian president this, i gotta give this guy his flowers he's got a long list of accolades you know if you hear the name herbert hoover herbert hoover you don't know which president he was i'm, t- I'm telling you right now that he was a president right after the crash i think he he's in office around 27 uh I'm going to have to Google this real quick. 1929 to 1933, the year of the crash. Imagine becoming president and then the, the stock market crashes. Mind you, the stock market crashing in 1920s versus today is completely different because we are on a gold standard. That means that you can't, the, the markets actually could fail. The U.S. could have been knocked off the top spot at this particular point. The reserve banks around the world of, of different countries did not hold US dollars they had they had gold in those banks this is the, that this is that time of history he comes into presidency around this time 1929 he, he only lasts till 33 he, he gets soundly defeated in 32 in 33 and you know that's because the US is in depression people are in soup lines you know they're just trying to get fed all right but this guy he has done a lot to become president He's not like the presidents of today, like Trump and stuff. This guy, you know, he went to school in Stanford and even his wife was, was you know, leading, leading the way for women. You know, uh, she was working in hospitals in China. They go over to China, they're feeding people over there, they're building up railroads, all right? He, he was an engineer. Um, he's done way, this, he's, got, he's got a long list of accolades. You know, it's no wonder they named a damn after him, all right? Um, he served even after his presidency, after they dogged him in the White House, he served two other presidents. The dude uh, was still working up until his death in 90. Well, I, I, I mean, at the age of 90. He died in like the 60s, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, we're talking about a guy who literally went to, to Russia, you know, and parts of Europe and was tasked with, you know, making sure that those people were fed, you know, our allies and stuff. And, you know, even our allies were asking us like, hey, man, look, man, I, we see that you're getting us fed and whatnot. But look, don't you think that this is kind of helping our allies, too? If you're feeding everybody, he's like, look, man, 20 million. His quote was like 20 million people are starving. That's it. They're going to be fed. Th- that's the dude. This is the dude who we who we elected president at the time. We were capable of electing people rationally with rational thought. We saw his his long rap sheet of humanitarian efforts before he became president you know he was a secretary of commerce for x amount of years you know appointed by all these presidents that are democratic presidents that are republican are hiring this guy all right so you know he's no slouch he comes in here and he gets he basically becomes a scapegoat for you know the 1929 crash 
All right. So Herbert Hoover comes in and he's the first president to say, hey, man, look, uh, I, I can see this mass mass uh, consumerism thing. It's definitely working for you guys. It's it's definitely working. All right. That's the president you elected, a, a guy who's very much what we would call today woke. All right. Imagine that he's the first politician to really articulate the idea that consumerism had become a central motor of, of American life. It's like, oh, shit, these people are out here buying shit for no reason. <laughs> you get it? The president is saying this. The U.S. government was different back then. They were against corporations. They were against the capitalism that you see today. That's what I'm trying to explain to you guys is that there was a paradigm shift at this particular point. And, you know, he's saying to the to the publicists of the time, like Bernays and, and several other people, like people like Lippmann and stuff, he's saying, you know, you've taken over the job of creating desire. You know, you transform the people into constantly moving happiness machines. You have created the matrix. These people are sitting in an infinite Tsukiyomi of sorts, an infinite uh, illusion of happiness constantly chasing happiness the next dopamine hit you know off of that purchase that consumer purchase that amazon purchase that online whatever it is our mindset that addiction that starts here at this particular point you know he comes into office where people are, are laid off left and right there's no jobs and stuff people are, you don't we are we have so many problems in the u.s at this point infrastructure wise we have disease, we have job loss, we have an economic crash, we have um, really bad relations with, uh, you know, our allies, you know, because they're, they're, they were heavily leaning on us, you know, at this particular point. And that's what this guy is walking into. And that's what the U.S. is looking like at this point. We were able to buy things a whole bunch in the 20s. There were a whole bunch of haves in the 20s and then all of a sudden there is a have not and the the stock market did crash because of speculation and we do need to recognize that Bernays did help increase the speculation by by you know advertising to people that yeah you should jump into the market and start speculating on on all kinds of things you should start taking out these weird ass business loans that you can't really back up yeah that was Bernays's idea right so let, let's not get it twisted here it's not like the U.S. government was mismanaging all kinds of money or whatever. No, we actually caused that crash. Not the government. Not like, you know, the feds. The feds did what they could back then. Like they do, you know, almost throughout all of U.S. history. They've always really done their best that they could for the people up until very recently where they did their best, as we saw in, you know, 2020 through 2023 today. They did their best for Wall Street sure they handed out stimulus checks but we're paying for it today in 2023 through high inflation you know and the feds throughout the u.s history has almost always tried to balance the sheets and the u.s government was very much on the same page all right um so you know that's where we are in the world you know we're not able to feed ourselves and we are failing left and right you know falling on our faces now, during the 20s, you know who's watching America very closely and, you know, saying to themselves, man, 
they they don't know what the hell they're doing. You know who's who's watching our economy, you know, fail in 1929? Who's watching us rise and fall in 1929? Who's watching democracy do its thing and then fall on its face during the 20s and then, you know, early uh, 30s? Adolf Hitler is watching America very closely. Him and his, his uh, political party at the time. All right. And he kind of shared the same beliefs as Freud. He was like, man, look, there's too many hidden desires underneath these people. And, you know, if you unleash them, that's the end of it. All right. He Freud was saying that, you know, civilization was basically created to contain those animal desires. All right. And, you know, when you unleash those animal desires, it has the power to even disrupt all of civilization. Right. And then like you have a country like Germany after World War One has like 32 different uh, political parties. And Hitler's like, man, you, what? What? We cannot have 32 parties. I mean, having this many parties is like the end of this country. We may as well just break up this damn country. You know, he was like, this is this is garbage. We, we got to do away with all of this. Right. He says that democracy is was dangerous because it unleashed selfish individualism. Selfish individualism. Does that look familiar today? And so what what we see today is what Hitler was afraid of. And he wanted to rein that in back then. Right. And so he created a National Socialist you know, party back then. And that proved to be pretty uh, popular. The reason why that got popular in Germany in the first place, with all these 32 parties, is because he used Bernays' techniques, propaganda. All right. And his his uh, propaganda was to, uh, you know, abandon democracy because it led to chaos and unemployment and people standing in line for soup kitchens. All right. The 1929 crash was enough proof that democracy does not work. And that's what Hitler, you know, his his bargaining chip was that the the German people would see what's happening to America. We had the. The roaring 20s we had the stock market crash now it's 1933 you know um hoover's out of office he tried they 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 blamed everything on on hoover he and hoover and uh, uh hitler is like all right we're gonna run for you know leadership of of this of this country and we're gonna take it to new heights 1933 hoover's out of office middle of the depression for america national socialists were elected to power in germany they were inspired by us, by our failure. We, they used our best marketing technique to control their people, and they were inspired by our failure to, to go the distance. Yes, the Nazi party was inspired by American foolishness, not Russians, not the British. Yeah, sure, Russia collapsed, uh, and it was never really truly thriving, you know, um, but at the same time, democracy figurehead was was the USA, okay? It was definitely the USA at this point. And, and we definitely inspired that party to come into power and those people to join in, you know, on the ideology that, that democracy, you know, is severely limited because people will be the animals that they are at the end of the day. So, you know, Hitler being ambitious as fuck, he, um, <laughs> pardon my French, but he's like, man, we're going to create a society where we can control human beings in a, in a different way. And you see all the weird stuff that he's 
come out with since you know his party stars you know eugenics type things <laughs> i mean aryan race and yada 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 and you know all of those things are pseudoscience <laughs> but you know namely you know we're switching back to autocratic control was was the main thing it was like we got to switch away from democracy democracy is weak that's what he was saying and then you got you know figures like joseph gobel um who's a you know, like the minister of propaganda or basically the minister of public relations marketing and advertising for germany because uh, basically he learned everything from bernays's uh you know hard work research and copying of uh freud's uh analysis yeah he implements propaganda in germany and that's how come propaganda today is such a bad word because you know you know it was used in you know, the nazis used it you know to control their people just as the U.S. used their version of propaganda, public relations, whatever, to ignite our people to do whatever they want. You know, it's forever cemented in history that, you know, his inspiration was, you know, Bernays, Bernays' work on crowd psychology. But I mean, as you see through history's lens, the Nazis were deliberately igniting these uh, subconscious forces that are in people. Right. In order to master it and, and control it. You know, it's like the lion inside of the cage. You're like, oh, I'm going to poke this lion, get him all riled up and shit. Then I'm going to hop in the cage with the motherfucking lion and crack the whip. <laughs> I'm going to hop in the cage with the lion and crack the whip. And then the lion's going to become a house cat. You know, that was their idea. And, you know, it, it, it worked. You know, that proved the research, you know, to be true. This this terrifies the U.S. after World War II. This is pre-World War II. This is 1932. World War II doesn't break out to like 40-something. All right? To like, uh, uh, actually, 39. I think World War II breaks out in like 39. I think uh, summer of 39 or so. And, you know, they get their practice in throughout the 30s while the U.S. is falling on their face from the Depression trying to do infrastructure changes educational changes you know great things to rebuild themselves great great things they weren't gonna go to um some weird stand they stood they stood their ground on, on the gold standard you know we needed that depression to see that we could fail we needed that it's unfortunate that it happened the way that it did but america was still a great country even during the depression don't get it twisted germany did not have a good answer for democracy democracy was not completely dead at that point we just needed to learn from our mistakes that's what i'm that's what i want you guys to take away from this above anything else is that democracy does work we just need to trust the people that are within the democratic you know body we need to give back the power to the people and you know have them be participants at all different levels of government we can't have the government be so large that and so uh you know imposing like like a parent or or, or a, a chief or whatever that we're not even a part of the decision making that's where we are right now democracy does work all right capitalism you know with its implementation that we see today it's deeply flawed because consumerism is at the base of our economic model and we love it it's 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 a cancer but we love it 
And we need to wean ourselves off of this, this thought process. We need to draw things back in, right? We need an economic model that actually can fail. You know, we need to be able to say, oh, we made a mistake, lesson learned. Now we got to start and do this again. All right. That will re, 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 reiterate the trust that we had, um, you know, rebuild the trust that we had between the people and the government, between the government and other governments. You know, whenever you have a, a country like the U.S. that has its dollar, the U.S. dollar is inside of the reserve bank of almost you know, most countries around the world. Whenever they loan money, when one country loans money to another country overnight or whatever, a bank loans money to another bank overnight, they're using U.S. dollars. They're not using cryptocurrency. They're not using gold. They're not using platinum. They're not using Chinese yuan yet. Um, They're using the U.S. dollar. And if you want those countries to continue to use those dollars as their trade money, then you need to be able to trust the trade money itself, the government that's behind it, all right? And our feds are, are actually pretty trustworthy, you know, somewhat. Um, but the government, not so much because of the way they operated for the last 80 years. And here in the US, we don't trust the feds, but the, the reality is, is that the feds have a limited number of powers and they have an entire world to deal with. So you have to look at what they're able to do and, and see that sometimes it's not going to be in our best interest if we have a system that does not fail. Like you saw in 2008, where we bailed out all these huge industries, we bailed them out. We sh- it should have been like the stock market crash of, of you know, the 29 where we fall on our face and we say, all right, lesson learned, let's change things, let's reform and correct ourselves, all right? And so the psychology of not being able to fail changed in the U.S. at this particular, you know, you know, in, in the period to come, all right? Um, and, and I want you guys to take away from this, at least see that, you know, we, there was a time period where the government looked at the people and said, hey, we were able to make rational decisions. And then, you know, what happens around this time period changes the government's mind. Hitler does these crazy things, you know, you know, at, at, during World War I, World War II, does these crazy things. And the U.S. government says to itself, we cannot let shit like what Hitler did happen but really what it should have been saying is that we cannot let shit like what we did in 1929 happen (laughs) we can't let that happen and we can't let other countries become as foolish as germany and leave it at that but we we got into a fear-mongering mindset we got into a fear-mongering mindset we said that because democracy is something that we're going to stick by and we're going to have the rest of the world stick by it. We're going to implement it in Europe and in whatever country that does trade with us that becomes an ally. They need to be democratic in some way or shape. You know, and also we need to, you know, implement some sort of consumerism in that country so that they are using the same model as us. 
right? Because that consumerism is going to keep the democracy in check. The consumerism is going to keep the people that are within the, 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 the democratic uh, governance distracted forever and ever. Because the next generation will come and they will adopt the, uh, you know, the uh, habits of their parents. And that's worked from 1950s till today. So, you know, whenever we say that dark psychology, you know, which is manipulation of people, you know, whenever we say it's like evil or bad or whatever, it can be implemented in good ways. It can be. But it just typically is not because, you know, greed, (laughs) typically greed, you know, we could easily manipulate a government like, you know, let's say Nazi Germany into being democratic. If we show them the good things that can come out of democracy, you know, we could flip the script on it. And we did do that after World War Two. We did do that. You're right. This isn't really so much a history lesson. It's just to show you that, you know, the way that we are right now, the way that we we implement consumerism, we keep people buying and buying and buying for no reason. This is a veil. This is a veil that they want you to keep wearing so that we can uphold the system so that it, it, it never fails. But it needs to be a system that's capable of failing so that it can truly be great for everybody involved. After World War II ends, the government had a lot to chew on, all right? We had a government run by people who had seen World War I, who had seen the Great Depression, who had seen the stock market crash, who had seen the Nazi party. They were terrified. And so after World War I, we have a government that figured its own people and put in place government administrations, to control the people that's the reason why consumerism and mass democracy today acts the way it does like a matrix to keep us contained within it keep us distracted and occupied because we are not you know the population level that it was you know in 1950 all right we're several times more than that in fact back then they couldn't they could have never have guessed that there would be so many people here today they thought that there'd be like the world would collapse if we had four billion people and here we are with nearly eight like 7.9 billion so you know you have a government that saying to itself you know we need to control this subconscious animal and if this subconscious animal ever comes out the entire world is going to collapse This is a time when we had nuclear power show up, you know, and it's the proof of its power was Hiroshima. And we can't have irrational people in the future, you know, around this entirely titanic weapon. And so, you know, we have a complete distrust between us and the government and the government, you know, not trusting us to be able to make conscious decisions properly and this this is the story between us and the u.s government from 1950 onwards you know you see the 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 korean war you see the uh the vietnam war you see the the palestinian wars you see the uh gulf war you see the uh 
you know, the conflicts that we avoided, uh, you know, over in, in uh, Eastern Europe, you see that the, the way that we treated people, you know, overseas in the Middle East in the early 2000s, they needed to create all kinds of veils to keep us, you know, in check all throughout our history from, you know, the end of World War II and onwards, because it was very fresh in the government's mind at that particular point that they had to do everything they could to prevent a third world war. And, you know, with our population as large as it is today, you know, I can't imagine, and I'm sure the government can't imagine what a world war would even look like today. You know, if people were mobilized, if weapons that we have today were used, if, you know, what would the world recover from, you know, a World War Three? You know, they lived through the people at this time period, you know, the 1940s and 50s. They lived through two world wars. All right. They lived through, you know, suffrage. They lived through, you know, um, desegregation. They, all kinds of things were, 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 were happening at this point, you know these people have seen humanity in its worst lens you know back to back and they were terrified and you know rightfully so because what's hidden underneath us is very much an animal but also what makes us human is slightly greater than an animal and we need to start trusting in what it is that makes us human all of the things not just the the darker things and you know i want to end this episode with the with the thought that the world has has a lot of potential and that potential has been slept on for the past 80 years or so we still have a lot to give we still have a lot left for this planet to 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 uh receive from us all right we've done a lot of bad in the past 80 years but we do have a great future ahead of us if we you know take a look at our potential you know the human potential not the animal potential all right we can't ignore the animal but we also have to recognize that there's more to us that makes us human and we need to regain that trust with ourselves within ourselves and you know the person sitting next to you and also the the governing body that we create to regulate us because a civilization that's constantly afraid of the animal that is caged, you know, that's no civilization. That's not civilized. Imagine you take in a wolf from nature, a fully grown wolf into your home. All right. That's where we are right now. We have an uncivilized, you know, uh, a wolf is not a pet. We have a wild animal in our in our home. That's what civilization looks like right now, is that we have an, a, a creature that we haven't even taken, taken the time to fully understand or to accept that we need to understand this creature fully. All right. And and so we're 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 at risk right now. You know, when you have a wolf in your home, you're always at risk of that animal attacking you. And so what are you going to do? Are you going to make the walls and the doors and, and the windows and, and the fence, you know, that covers the wolf stronger and stronger and stronger so that you can keep it caged in? 
or do you start working with that wolf in and outside of its environment so that you can start to understand it so you can do you got to observe the wolf you got to you got to communicate with it you know you have to coexist with it and that's what our government needs to do with us that's what we need to do with our government that's what we need to do with our you know societies that's what we need to do between cultures that's what we need to do between nations borders that's what we need to do with uh, our future and our past we need to understand it and dissect it and and also you know come to terms with the good and the bad bad of it and so i'm going to leave this episode on that note um you know we're not going to come back to the political topics you know anytime soon um we're going to jump back into the uh psychology fray and touch on some of the uh, contributors to uh modern psychology you know for the next few episodes or so and you know um, if you have any uh, requests for, you know, particular, you know, contributions to mental health, psychology, neuroscience, go ahead and drop me a line. All right. Comment down below this. Uh, if you're listening on Spotify, you know, comment down below um, or whatever platform you're listening on. It's going to be on out, out on uh, most major platforms. And if you're watching this on YouTube also, um, yeah, go ahead and drop me a line and uh, yeah, we'll see what we can do. I'm John Nothing, and this has been another episode of Unthink, and thank you for having me.